The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. Another episode of Setting the Record Straight, a podcast of the Reconstructionist Radio Network. I'm Travaris Tut, a pastor of Truth and Grace Bible Church of Jacksonville, Florida. Let us begin this podcast. So last time we talked about group economics and if it was the answer to the economic crisis in many black communities. We talked about planning churches in the black community, specifically the inner city communities, and if group economics was the answer to church planting in the black community, as we understand that many do not plant churches here now because of the lack of resources. Uh, We also talked about the oppression that has occurred in this country that has kept blacks as a whole about 10 steps behind, and we talked about the successes of the black community, such as Black Wall Street, which was eventually terrorized, Um, and we talked about how the gospel is not in need of practical changes to occur in order to pave the way for its proclamation. But we also understand, just like missionaries that go to third world countries, understand that a great way to engage uh, where they're uh, going to be missionaries to is to provide a service to that nation. And so today we actually have Javon McKenzie on the line, and we're going to include him in on this conversation, ask him a few questions, and just talk about uh, group economics and talk about entrepreneurship and how we can engage the community, the black community, with the gospel as well as engage the community with this economic crisis. So, Javon McKenzie, why don't you just introduce yourself a little bit to people who may not know who you are. Yes, uh, I'm Javon McKenzie. Uh, first, want to say uh, thanks for having me on, brother. And um, yeah, I, I um, for those who don't know, I have I've done uh, music for about, uh, about I say about seven years. Um, put out a lot of Christian albums, and uh, so I'm currently uh, just you know working on more music. So that's really what I do. Um, I uh, completed an internship, uh, pastoral internship, up here in uh, Massachusetts. And uh, I am currently um, just, uh, you know, trying to help help the black community, trying to come up with different solutions to help the impoverished uh, and those who are who have been uh, disenfranchised by the current uh, systemic uh, oppression that exists here in America. And so that's really that's really all I do, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. So many people already know, as I've talked about in different interviews, uh, me and Javon have been good friends for a while. Um, he's important to me a lot, been a great uh, benefit to my life, my family. Um, <clears throat> so, Javon, um, me and you talk about a lot of this stuff all the time, um, and it's, it's, it's just great that we can uh, have this platform to talk about it. More people can get a better understanding of where we're coming from. But um, I was listening to uh, a speech, uh, one of Martin Luther King's last speeches, um, before he got killed, and many people believe this was actually the speech that got him killed on basically 
uh, it was dealing with economics. And if you listen to it, it almost sounds like if he's not talking about group economics, he's talking about pulling out of the banks, pulling money from uh, insurance companies, pulling money from, you know, any company that's not supporting the black community or that's not supporting uh, the fight against social injustice. He spoke about uh, the poverty of blacks individually, but he says blacks are poor. We're poor people individually. However, he says collectively the American Negro is richer than all the nations in the world except for nine. And he said that the annual income, now, of course, this is back back in his day, he said the annual income for the American Negro collectively was $30 billion a year. And, you know, on the, you know, on the video, it was showing how in 2013, it was almost $407 billion a year. So, I mean, his point was that, you know, yeah, we're poor, but collectively we aren't. So basically the answer is, are we to bring all our resources together or, 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 or what, or what are we to do uh, to enhance the black community? So uh, my first question to you is, first off, do you even believe um, economic improvement is important for advancing the gospel in the inner city communities, specifically black communities, and if so, why or why not? Yes. Um, can you ask that one more time? So do you believe that economic improvement is important for advancing the gospel in the inner city, specifically the black community? Uh, yes, um, I do. Um, absolutely. Uh, I believe that um, let's just take the average evangelical church uh, who does ministry in the middle class. Um, the way that, that one would do ministry uh, in the middle class uh, would definitely be different in the way one would be uh, do ministry in the urban community, just like if, you know, the way somebody would do uh, church or, or, or ministry in America would be different than what you would do if you went over to China or India or certain parts of Africa. You know, you have a different culture. There's different um, social issues. There's different um, – there's all type of different issues that can come up. Um, and I think what happens is when you look at the white middle class, um, the way they do church and ministry is you usually don't have to think about orphans too much. Uh, you don't have to think about, man, who needs a pair of shoes? I wonder who doesn't have a meal. You know, who needs a job? You know, everybody's got good jobs, you know whether they're self-employed or, or they're, um, they're uh, working for uh, a company, a Fortune 500 company, or just, you know, whatever. They're, they're usually living pretty good when it comes to economics, uh, the economic status. Um, and so when you go back and look at the country, how they benefit from not only white supremacy but white privilege, they, there's a, they're, they're, they, they are privileged to be uh, in the position they are because of the way the country is set up. doesn't mean that they didn't work hard. doesn't mean that they don't deserve what they have, uh, but it just means that there's a certain privilege that comes with being white in America, especially when you look historically uh, and even look at the present day. And so when you see how the greater slavery that came after the Emancipation uh, Proclamation, uh, when you see how the goal was to get people in debt, and the scripture talks about how the slave – or, uh, you know, one who is indebted to another is a slave. You know, uh, this, uh, the, the borrower is a slave to the lender. And so they set up blacks in a way that most of us would be slaves through the, through, through, through the economic system. And so economics has everything to do with the gospel. I mean, we see even in the Bible 
uh, particularly in the Old Testament, uh, we see in the Proverbs, we even see in uh, Deuteronomy and different and different books in the Bible how God feels about economics, how He feels about just and unjust wages. Um, I think even me, you talked the other day about how uh, when a worker doesn't pay the poor or somebody the same day, how it's, a, it's an injustice. You know, they get paid, and you know, you gotta go home, and you know, you didn't work for twelve hours, eight hours, or whatever, and you got nothing to show for it that day. You know, how are you gonna get your daily yeah. bread? And so um, I think that if people understood the reality of economics, because I think a lot of people just make it like, okay, that's a separate issue. Like we we just need to we just need to get your soul right. Mm-hmm. Um, and not understanding that, okay, this could be a stumbling block when you go into the black community, urban community in general, uh, and impoverished communities, and you think you're just going to go in there and you're just going to be preaching Jesus and show no type of works behind it. Like it's not going to happen versus in the middle class. Nobody has any needs really of uh, uh, any type of economic needs or financial needs, and so it's not really a big deal. You just be like, okay, these people got money, they got this and that, but but more than all, that we know they need Christ, they need Yahshua. But in the black community, yeah, we need Yahshua, but we also need jobs. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We need we need we need a break from the police. You know what I'm saying? We need we need uh you know there there's racial racial issues. There's uh, uh 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 you know there's people in our community terrorizing us. There's all type of of enemies that are there are all type of things that we have to deal with. And if somebody just goes in there thinking that none of this stuff matters, only thing that matters is the gospel, then I think that makes them short sighted, and uh, they're gonna they're gonna miss a lot of uh. Uh, business, um, not business, but ministry uh, uh, and spiritual opportunities to uh, to impact that community. Right, right. So, how do you help people understand that what we're saying is not okay? You need Jesus, and or we're adding to the gospel, or we're saying okay, if you come to Jesus, then you're then all these things are gonna, uh, you know, be right in your life, or economically, or what, whatever the case is. How do you how do you explain that to the person who thinks that you're preaching what they say is a, a social gospel, basically? Um, well, the first thing I would t- I would I would tell that person is <clears throat> we have to understand number one the gospel is social, uh, and when I say the gospel is social, it means that it has social implications. Um, the gospel applies to every area of life. So when we think of the gospel. We just think of usually Christians when they mean the gospel of salvation, they only think in terms of justification. But there's we see there's three stages. There's justification, sanctification, and there's glorification. Where where if you're a Christian, you're going through the sanctification process and you've been justified. If you're truly in Christ, you've been justified. So with that being said, the social implications are huge because we see all throughout the Bible the, the character of God and his heart towards the poor, his heart towards those who are being oppressed, how he feels about the oppressors. Um, we see in the scripture that those who are men stillers or slave masters should be put to death. Um, we, you know, when you steal, you steal another human being. And so God takes it very serious, and I believe that so should we. So we're not at all saying that, okay, if you come to Jesus, God is going to give you riches or this and stuff like that. Well, Jesus said you'll always have the poor with you. Um, but that's not an excuse to not help the poor because Jesus also told us to help the poor. Right. So he wasn't saying that to be like, okay, hey, man, don't worry about it. We're supposed to be poor people. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, oh, just leave them poor. Like, no, he tells us to, like, you know, to, to, to God's heart is near those who help the poor. Yeah. You know, no, and, and, and lending to the poor is like lending to God, you know. And so we see in the scriptures that God uh, uh, very much cares so, and all people have to do is look at, 
the uh, the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look at how Jesus treated poor people. Look at how when Jesus goes in the temple and he quotes from Isaiah, I believe it's 65, I want to say, or 61, when he talks about, you know, I've came to free the captives and, and came to preach the good news. He didn't say the good news to all men, even though we know he did come to preach to all men. Why, but why does he specifically say to the poor? Because it's the poor who were oppressed. They were the ones who were looked down upon. They were the ones who the, the, the judicial system took advantage of because they were poor. They didn't have resources. They didn't have the education that the Pharisees and other people might have. And so they were disenfranchised and they were marginalized. They were uh, they were uh, uh, they, they experienced prejudice and, 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 and all kind of stuff. And so, you know, for people who say, well, that's not the gospel. Well, it depends on what you're talking about. If you're asking, if you're saying that's not what saves a human being's soul, then yes, you're absolutely right. But if if a person thinks that the gospel is simply limited to a person's soul being saved, then they're then they're missing the the, the point of not only what the gospel is, but how the gospel affects every area of life. And so it doesn't just affect you know, okay, that you're saved. Okay, okay, you're saved. Now, now, what do you do? How do you live? How do you think? Do do I go to work? Do I care about my family? Do I care about my friends? Do I love my enemy? Like, what what does that look like? How does that look like in business? How does that look like in the courtroom? How does that look like in a church? You know what I'm saying? And if you don't, and if and if you and if you don't, um, and if you so if you say the gospel doesn't apply to those, then basically we could just do whatever we want. You know, there's no standard, so there has to be a standard, and so that standard is found in, of course, God's word. So that would be my answer to somebody. Um, you know, who may have an issue or think that we're, you know, saying that, you know, people uh, to come to Jesus means X, Y, Z. It's like, no, you come to Jesus because you need Jesus. But when you come to Jesus, you need to know how to view money, how to view relationships. All these different things uh, are a result of the gospel. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you even see it in John the Baptist's ministry when he's telling, he's telling the Jews to, you know, repent, um, and he's he's warning of the of the coming judgment, and then you know people are like, okay, hey, what do we do? And then he's telling, uh, you know, this he's 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 basically giving out these commands that are basically implications, like you said, of what it means when um, you're coming to uh, the faith and you're coming or you're being restored, and he's he's giving these implications. Now, same thing with Jesus; he did the same thing in his ministry. Um, so, yep. So, so why do you think um, people ignore, uh, specifically Christians? Why do you think Christians ignore uh, systemic oppression and uh, deny its power to keep the black community behind? Why do you think that people want to just believe that, um, hey, you know, oppression is over, you know, um, you know, injustice is over. And, um, you know, black people, they just need to, to get it together, basically. Um, they need to start making excuses. Um, or, or do you think, um, you know, and this is really for the people because I already know you don't, I already know what you believe about this, but, or do you think that black people are, are lazy? Or do you think black people are just have this, this entitlement mentality? Or do you think that black people, don't want to, uh, you know, really work for themselves and, and, and make a living for themselves. Um, so I guess that's kind of a two-part question, but, yeah, mainly, yeah, dealing with the, the mentality that people have about the black community as a whole. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a very good question, man. Um, appreciate that. Um, yeah, I would say number one, when you're dealing with the black community, uh, you know, it's interchangeable. Black community, poor community, you know, uh, it's basically the same. You know, usually when you see a black community, you you think of impoverished people, people in poverty, people that are the the lowest of the lows, the people from you know uh, low income jobs, minimum wage, et cetera. Not too many business owners or owners of anything, not just business houses, whatever, right? Property. Uh, we 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 don't own a lot in our community. You know, that you see the Arabs, different people come in, they'll own stuff, they'll own our hair salons and nail shops and stuff like that, but you, you you don't see too many blacks owning like we would want to see. And so I would say the answer is this. Uh, number one, I would just say when you look at poor people in general, you know, humans were naturally selfish. Um, and so what happens is if people can find – if people can find an excuse – to why people are poor, and if they can make it on the if they can make it the poor's fault, then they just found an excuse to why they don't have to give their time or resources because basically it's that person's fault, right? Mm-hmm. So if the poor is not victims, if poor people are poor because they, it's all their fault, then that takes away the responsibility for people to help the poor. But we see in scripture, the Bible clearly talks about how the poor. You know, it's not, you know, yes, are there lazy poor people? Absolutely. There's lazy rich people. Uh, you know what I'm saying? But 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 a lot of people that are poor are not poor. I mean, if you go into a black community right now, I can show you a bunch of single-parent black mothers that work two or three jobs. Mm-hmm. My mom did it, you know, that are busting their behind, and they got nothing to show for it but barely a roof over their head. So being poor doesn't always have something to do with being lazy or not working hard enough or et cetera. Um, and so I think that is it, but also, uh, to take it further and to go deeper, uh, into the mindset of many people, uh, we have to understand that, of course, you know, we have to be honest when we talk about race and stuff, or, or, or we talk about ethnicity and color, and especially in America, when you look at white, uh, evangelicals, when you look at the evangelical church in America, just the visible church, not everybody, because there's a there's plenty of whites that I know that are awoke. They are conscious. They understand the system, how it's designed, and they're they're doing what they can to stand against it. But I would just say the average American, the average Christian American, right? Two things, like you just said, all you know, what is their mindset? Oh, these people just need to be lazy. I mean, they just need to work hard. They just need to do this. They just need to do that. What are they basically saying? In a nutshell, what they're really saying is these people need to be like us because we're the standard. So if you would just go to college like me, if your granddad would have worked really hard, like my granddad, you would have had wealth to pass down or, you know what I'm saying? Or we didn't have wealth, but I picked myself up by my bootstraps and I, you know, and I worked hard. And so I got it. So basically they're implying that you're not as, as much of a hard worker as I am, even though, like I said, I can find plenty of poor people that work harder than rich people. Um, so it doesn't, so sometimes you have rich people that work hard. Sometimes you have poor people that work hard. You have both, or sometimes you have both can be lazy and one can still be rich and one can still be poor. But regardless of that, what it really boils down to is if, if they admitted that systemic injustice happens, that oppression is real and it's not just real, like, oh, it happens every now and then, you know what I'm saying? Like a car accident. No, we're talking about this is the system. It hasn't changed. It's still very much just as racist as it was during slavery. The difference is it's just a different, it's just a different way that it, 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 uh, it, it manifests. 
So we will have to cut off right there for time. But if you would like to hear part two of this interview, subscribe to this podcast so that you can be updated when it comes out. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and grace and peace to you. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.